Thanks for checking out the YVF podcast today. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you in whatever season of life you're in. Now here's Pastor Kevin. We open up Hebrews um, chapter, chapter 3. Chapter 3 of Hebrews. And we're continuing this evening with the section of Hebrews that we started last week, and I believe we'll finish it this week, that goes through chapter 4 and verse 13, at least the way that I've divided it up. You know, everybody's going to have their own outline for the book, but the way I've divided it up, and uh, the title of this section is the, that Christ is superior to Moses, his superiority over Moses. And last week, we mainly focused on chapter 3, verse 1, um, which says, I'll read it again, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. And we, we talked about a lot of stuff related to verse 1 last week, and mainly we focused on this idea, this understanding that I think we're far from grasping completely in our lives that we are truly partakers, that we are participants, we are partners together with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, that we are together with him in this heavenly calling, in the inheritance that we have in Christ's kingdom. And so, just by way of reminder, when we talked about angels, we, we drew a contrast between servants or slaves and a son in, in the house. And we see that same thing with Moses. And we talked last week about the difference between those who are partakers or partners in a business or in a deal, but they are partners on the level of uh, a servant. You know, at least I never worked for Walmart, but when you go to places like that, it always says employee owned and things. I think Walmart is, but you know, they say employee owned. But you, you know that if you're a cash, cashier there, you probably get some little tick on your retirement plan because it's employment owned, but you don't really own Walmart as compared to the Wall family, you know, but we need to understand that we're like that family. We, we're not just like the family of God, we are the family of God, and so we bear the same, well, maybe not the same, I, I won't go that far, but we bear a great deal of responsibility and we have a great deal of reward uh, in Christ Jesus. So we're going to start here with verse 2. And I'll just read verses 2 through 6, and then we'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll talk about this. We're talking about Christ as superior to Moses. Um, so it says in verse 2, immediately following what we just read, he, speaking about Jesus, was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. That's what we're talking about. By just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house, and it's not talking about Moses' house, but the his is referring to God in all of God's house, as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, so this contrast between the servant and the son. Both faithful, but on a completely different level. Whose house we are, if, 
Always underline those ifs. There's a lot in Hebrews. If we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word this evening. I pray that you'd bring it forth to us in simplicity and truth, and you would reveal to us what you want us to hear this evening, Lord. I pray that you would cause us to be uh, to really to realize how much we are partakers in this heavenly calling, in your kingdom, in this inheritance, that we would become active participants, uh, partaking in your peace and partaking in your glory and partaking in your grace in every area of our lives and in our families and in our church. In Jesus' name, amen. So we read here that Moses was faithful. That was not news to the Hebrew readers, to the Jewish readers of this. And it's not news to us, and it really probably wouldn't be news to anybody that knew even the slightest bit about history. I mean, Moses is one of those people in history that most people have heard of. But as we believe the Bible, we know that Moses was faithful. If there's anybody in the Old Testament who's an example of faithfulness, uh, that's, that's Moses. You know, So he was faithful, uh, but he is faithful as a servant, and it draws this this contrast here to show us that so Christ Jesus is also faithful. If there's anybody in all of Scripture who's faithful, obviously that's Jesus. He was faithful to obey his Father even unto death and that death on a cross. So Christ was faithful also, but faithful as a son. So Moses, we understand from the Scripture, is the great prophet of God in the Old Testament. And yet Moses spoke of a prophet who would come, and that's speaking of Jesus, who is greater even than he. And Moses recognized this. And John the Baptist, whom Jesus called the greatest prophet of the Old Testament, even greater than Moses, John the Baptist also recognized this and said, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal. You know, he's, he's so much more than me. So Moses is God's prophet. Moses is God's lawgiver. And He's faithful in all of God's house. So the house that God is building up is a spiritual house. It's not talking about the physical tabernacle on the earth, which was only a picture of the real spiritual tabernacle, which is in heaven. He's not talking about the temple that would later be built by Solomon and then rebuilt and then refurbished and, (laughs) and all those kinds of things. He's talking about a spiritual house that is made up with spiritual stones, and those spiritual stones are people. That's God's house. Every house is made up of people. Every city, it's really not the building, it's, it's the people that are in them. And so when we know about a town like Bodhi or somewhere that doesn't have any people living there, that means we call it a ghost town because nobody lives there. It's just a bunch of empty buildings. So God's house are people, and in particular, uh, the, the people that God calls Israel. And they are the seed of Abraham. We've already looked at that. And we've looked last week at how in Galatians, Paul explains that Jesus is the seed of Abraham. So the whole house is Jesus and we are all in Christ. Okay. And it says that Moses was faithful in this house that God built. But the house does not get the glory. The builder of the house gets the glory. Well, that speaks something to us today, that we don't get the glory, but God gets all the glory. 
And when God is glorified, we are glorified together with him because we are his house. When we glorify ourselves alone, uh, or people, or we tend to get lifted up with pride about something, and we don't uh, boast in the Lord as we were talking about, but we boast in our own selves or in the opinions of other people about us. Well, you know how that goes. You know how that goes with your own physical house or your car. As soon as you get overconfident about how great everything works, that's when it starts breaking down. You know, and you realize, no, this is still just an old car or new car or whatever. It still breaks down. It's still a faucet. It still can break, you know, all these kinds of things. But the builder of the house is God. And so our glory is in him. So Moses was faithful in that house, but he was faithful in the faithfulness of the law. And the faithfulness of the law is to serve the one who would come. This is explained to us in the New Testament by Paul. In Galatians, it tells us, that the law was a tutor or a teacher who was to teach us until Jesus Christ would come. And what the law teaches us and teaches us very well is that we are sinners, that we are lost, and that we need a Savior. So the teacher is there only to lead us unto Christ. And so Moses was faithful as a teacher. He was faithful according to the law. He, his faithfulness uh, uh, was designed to lead us to the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. Moses did not build God's house, we read here. He merely served the builder, and the builder is God himself, and Jesus is the house, and he is the builder. Uh, and in fact, although it's not written here exactly like this, but it will come out later in Hebrews, when we get to Hebrews chapter 11, and it's talking about the, what we call the heroes of faith from the Old Testament, Moses not only helps God in building the house as a servant, but he is also the house too. He is a member of the house. He is a member of the household of faith also just as we are. So all things are built by God. But Jesus Christ alone, the Son of God, is, as we read in verse 1, the apostle and the high priest of our confession. So go just for a minute over to John chapter 14. And everybody knows these verses, but... Let's look at him in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. We read, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. So there's the house. And the house is built up with people. We live in the house. We have dwelling places. If it were not so, uh, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. So you see, the builder of the house is Jesus. The builder of the house is God. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So he is the apostle of our confession. An apostle is one who is sent. He, he goes and he comes in these verses. I go and I'll come back, and then we'll go into that house together as the apostle. And then we go down, uh, he talks to Thomas, and in verse 6, uh, Jesus says to Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And the through me speaks of him as being the high priest, that we come through him and through the sacrifice that he offers, which is, of course, the sacrifice of his own blood, the sacrifice of his own body for the forgiveness of our sins. So Moses is nothing like that. No one comes to the Father through Moses. 
And the Moses never claimed that anyone could come to the Father through him. Moses is not the apostle sent to lead us into the house of the Father, but he is the one who points the way to the apostle and the high priest of God, who is Christ Jesus. So we are together with Moses in, in this house. You know, um, we're going to be looking at Moses and Joshua here, and uh, we're not going to say anything bad about them, but they're kind of uh, presented in a very realistic light of who they, who they actually were uh, in this passage of Scripture, and uh, that they are not Jesus, right? And, uh, but we, we need to not forget that the argument being made here is based on the Old Testament Scripture. So what's being drawn out here is that Moses that you read about in the Old Testament. When you get to Hebrews chapter 11, it's going to be pointing us toward the Moses that is now in heaven. That same Moses who appears with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. That's not the same Moses that we read about then, because then he wasn't saved yet. He's saved by faith, but Jesus has not come yet. So they, in the Old Testament, are saved looking forward to the cross, and we in the New Testament, we would say we are saved looking back to the cross as far as time is concerned. So when we read about Moses, I mean, thank God that he put all these examples in the Bible. Uh, so we'll see this evening that these are examples for us so that we can see ourselves in the lives of Moses and David and all these things. However, any one of us would be quite embarrassed if God wrote every detail of our life like he writes about these people. So I, I, I'm thankful for Moses and David, and I don't know if they had any choice in the matter, but uh, I'm sure they're very happy to have their names in the Bible, and I'm thankful that their failures are also recorded for us because we learn from those failures, and we learn how they conquered in those failures uh, by faith. So Moses is an example for us. Okay, and we'll see that in another passage of scripture here in a minute in 1 Corinthians. He's an example for us. But what's being taught to us here in Hebrews is he's not an example for Christ. Okay, that Christ is the example for Moses, that Moses is following Christ. So Moses is, or Christ is worthy of more glory than Moses, and he's worthy of more glory than any one of us. So when we read in the Old Testament, uh, actually, let's, let's go on to, to verse 7, and I'll get to what I was getting ready to say in just a minute. So when we get to verse 7, um, let's just read together all the way to the end of chapter 3, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. It says, therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, and then Psalm 95 is being quoted here. I'm not going to open it, but you can read it in its entirety uh, later. It says, therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, I'm going to talk about this word today, so put your attention on it. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they did not know my ways as I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day. We need each other. Big theme in Hebrews. As long as it is still called today, 
so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning, again, if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt by Moses, and with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Amen. So, first thing I want to say to you is this week I got a text from Cassidy. Or maybe it was last, I'm pretty sure it was this week. No, it was last week, all right. So last week I got a text from Cassidy and she said, oh, my mom said that you preached this really good sermon and you were talking about something that I'm supposed to write a paper on and uh, I can't remember how she phrased it, but it was on this idea of kind of, I guess, easy grace that, you know, that we don't have to live up you know, God's grace just covers everything. It doesn't matter how we act and what we do. And can I quote you in this paper I'm writing? And I told her the truth. I honestly don't remember what I preached, but if you've got it, you can quote it. It doesn't matter to me because I'm not even sure what sermon she was talking about. But we really see that here. And, and these things are New Testament written to Christians. And the, the warnings in Hebrews will keep getting more and more stern as we go along over these chapters, and they, they challenge our faith, you know, and I, I, I see them uh, not so much as, as warnings of what will happen to you because you're such bad boys and girls, kind of thing like that, uh, but as the kind of warnings that we as parents that really love our children give them in love what might happen to you or what will happen, better to say like this, what will happen to you if you keep going in this direction. We're not saying that because we want those bad things to happen. We're saying that because we don't want those bad things to happen. We're not saying that at the last second when it's already too late, are we? We're saying those kinds of things to them when they're little kids and they don't even understand what we're talking about. And I really believe that these warnings, as stern as they are, that they're given to us and we need to pay, pay heed to them. We need to give attention to them. Because even if we don't, you know, people worry, well, does that mean we're going to go to hell? Does that mean we can lose our salvation? What about once saved, always saved? And when we get to chapter 6, we'll talk, talk about that a little bit, I guess. But, but honestly, what difference does it make uh, in, a, in a sense, in a, in a practical sense? When I read about a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, I just, I used to worry about it. But nowadays, I just think, I'm not going to worry about it. I just don't even want to know what it is. So I'm not going there. I don't want to find out what that kind of punishment is. I don't want to know what that means. I want to go toward the light, not away from the light. So I want to listen to the warnings that, that God gives. And this is a, a strong warning because we're being compared to the children of Israel in the wilderness. And we are being told that the same thing can happen to us. And literally our bodies can fall in the wilderness. We can die in the desert and never enter into the, to the promised land if we, if we go in, in that path. That God wants us to enter into his rest, and we'll talk about this more in a minute, but he wants us to have that today. Not tomorrow, uh, not just in eternity, but he wants us to be uh, partakers of that rest, that peace, that grace 
that glory in, in our lives today uh, because that's what Christ died for, that we might walk and live in the rest of God and be in the peace of God and walk in that righteousness that he has given us. So it says that our hearts become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And you know what the deceit of sin is. It's that nobody really knows about this, or it doesn't really matter, or I can just ask God to forgive me for this. It's like when I was a little kid, I remember, I shouldn't even admit this, probably Mrs. Brady, my teacher, is listening somewhere. She's got to be dead by now. But, I mean, I'm embarrassed of it, but it's just the truth. We'd go through the cafeteria line, and I loved those cookies. And sometimes I would sneak an extra cookie under my plate because you were only allowed to get one. And it's really not a big deal, but I was a Christian at that time. And it ate me up on the inside to this day. I tell you about it, it makes me feel kind of not so good about that. It's really, you know, I was embarrassed of that. And I'd get in that line and say, I'm not going to do it today. I'm not going to get it. And I'd be like, no, I'm going to take that cookie. And then I'd say, God, just forgive me for what I'm about to do. <laughs> and then I would start thinking, I mean, I was pretty mature. I'd start thinking, does that even work? <laughs> you know, to pray like that? Maybe I just need to stop doing it, you know. And, and that's how sin deceives us. And we're all familiar with those kinds of things in our lives. And, but we have to be really careful because the sin, as we listen to the voice of sin and deceit, it begins to harden our heart. And we don't feel the things that we used to feel. And we, we kind of reimagine God to be somebody that he's not, but he doesn't change. Just our imagination <laughs> changes. And then we're, we end up, you know, with with paying the, the price for that. When Sasha was learning to drive, I told her in the beginning, because I believe this, never lose a little bit of that fear that you have. Understand always, if she was on a motorcycle, I'd say it all the more so, understand always what can happen to you. You know, always put your seatbelt on. You know, I really meant these things, uh, because you don't know when the accident's gonna happen. And you want to drive, as they teach you, defensively. Because you, but you can get hardened and just think, you know, I've never been wrecked, everything's so easy, and that's when you get in trouble, when your heart is hardened. So there's some kind of silly examples maybe, but I think they help us to, to understand this. So coming back to this, here's the questions. They're in the notes there for you. And uh, the first one, I wrote it like this, setting aside all traditions concerning Moses, because that's really important if you were Jewish especially. What exactly has the Holy Spirit said in the scripture concerning him? And we read that from Psalm 95. Did the generation of Moses enter the rest of God? No, they did not. Only Joshua and Caleb entered the promised land. And we'll deal with Joshua in a minute. He gets it too here. Did Moses himself ever enter the rest of God? No, he did not. He did not enter the promised land. Now again, that's that Moses. He has entered the rest of God now. But he did not enter into the fullness of God's rest that God had for him because of the hardness of heart. So what we read in these scriptures that I really want to draw your attention to is that they did hear God's voice says, today if you hear his voice, in verse 7. The children of Israel heard God's voice. Moses heard God's voice. And the children of Israel saw his works. They saw his miracles. They saw miracles that we have never seen in our lives. 
So that tells me that it's not enough to hear God's voice and to see his miracles for me to enter into the fullness of what God has for me. That there's one thing that lacks, and that was their faithful obedience, faith. They heard his voice, they saw his miracles, but even after that, they begged God to let them go back to Egypt. They could not trust him, um, or they would not trust him. So when we look at Moses in particular, we read in the Old Testament about him, and I'm not going to open these verses, um, but uh, we, we read that he, he hears God, that he sees God's works, and it also says about Moses that he knew God's ways. In the Psalms, it says that. In Exodus, it tells us that, God, that Moses met with God face to face and spoke with him as a man speaks with his friend. That Moses, I don't know what it means exactly, but whatever it means, it's amazing. He met with God face to face and he spoke to him, to God, like a man speaks with his friend. When he asked God to reveal his glory to him, God allowed him to see the backside of his glory, if you remember that story. But that's still more than I've ever seen. You know, I see it in Christ. I see it spiritually. But Moses looked with his physical eyes and saw God walking away from him and did not die. So, I mean, he really was close to God. But then something happened in Moses' life. He listened. I was preaching about this last Sunday. He began to listen to the people instead of listen to God. He began to do his own works instead of do God's work. And he chose his own way instead of God's way. And it seems like such a small thing that God told him to speak to the stone and the water would come out. But instead of speaking, he struck the stone. And the water still came out. The miracle still happened. It still worked. But he failed in that. And we have an understanding from 1 Corinthians 10, if you'll just open that for a minute, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, of just why that was so important. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, in verse 1, it says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. That's the cloud of God's glory in the Red Sea. It's their baptism. And they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud in the sea, and in the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. So Paul's drawing this to our attention so that we can see that in an Old Testament way, they were Christians just like we are Christians. They were baptized, they ate the bread, they drank the wine, you know, they took the communion. Uh, they were together with Moses as we are together with Jesus, and Moses was with Jesus, so they were with Jesus. And it says they all drank the same spiritual drink. Then listen to this. This is really cool. It says, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them. Okay? Now, in the material world, I don't think the rock got up and walked around and followed them. But spiritually, both of the rocks are the same rock. And the first time, the rock was supposed to be struck. That speaks of the cross, the death of Jesus Christ. This is important because this is going to come out again in Hebrews later on when it talks about crucifying Christ to ourselves again. Okay? But the second time, he was supposed to speak to the rock. To speak to the rock. Like Jesus said, to speak to the Father, pray to the Father in my name. Not strike the rock. It says they were, the spiritual rock actually followed them around in the wilderness. 
And that rock was Christ. Jesus was with them, but they couldn't see him. They thought they were going to die of thirst, and they never were going to die of thirst in the first place because Jesus was there with them. The rock was following them around. It was not God's intention to lead them into the wilderness so that they would die. And yet they did die in the wilderness because they never got with the program. They never got on board with what God was doing. So nevertheless, verse 5 says, With most of them God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. And then it goes on from there. So we know that they are examples for us. And the example is the example of unbelief. In verse 19 of Hebrews 3, it says, we see. If we see something, it's because we have this example. We see. When we read that story, we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Because of unbelief. And that unbelief is akin uh, to what we uh, read here, uh, the, the ifs that we looked at. It's akin to us not holding fast to the beginning of our assurance, to the beginning of our confidence, of us just getting lazy and not being diligent and not going on. Often, I think mostly we think of unbelief as we just don't believe something mentally. But there's a huge difference in the scripture between mental assent, as we might call it, just agreeing that, yes, that is true, and trusting. You know, belief is trusting. And I think a lot of it comes from the English language and how we use the word believe. And we use words like unbelievable. Oh, that's unbelievable. When what we really mean is that's amazing because I do actually believe it. It just happened, you know, you just gave me a hundred bucks. I do believe it, but that's unbelievable. You know, we don't use words really right in our language, but they're used very properly in the scripture. And to believe means to trust, to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. So they, they believed that they walked across the Red Sea on dry land. There was no way to dispute that, but they still didn't trust in, in God and trust in, in what he was doing in, in their life. So because of this unbelief, um, they could not enter. The sin of, it was because of the sin of unbelief that God was angry with them. Because of the sin of unbelief, he refused to allow them to enter his rest. Now, understand, for 40 years in the wilderness, he took care of all of their needs. They didn't even need new shoes. He fed them. They had manna. They had quail. You know, they didn't have to hunt quail. They were just out there. Just go pick them up. You know, they, they had food. They had clothing. They had protection from their enemies. They had water. They had everything that they needed. But God was angry with them. Again, great example for us. Just because God is blessing us doesn't mean he thinks we're in the right place. And just because things are going hard doesn't mean that we're in the wrong place. You can't judge by the things we want to judge by. We judge by God's word. And when we're faithful to God and we're serving God, sometimes things are really hard in life for various reasons and if for nothing else because Satan's mad and there's a spiritual battle. But when we're unfaithful to him, sometimes we get really blessed anyway. We think, well, everything must be okay. God's just blessing me. 
that's the scariest place to be of all. Because maybe you're just being led into a false sense of security here. Maybe you need to wake up and realize that God blesses the just and the unjust. You know, the same sunshine, the same rain, just because somebody's rich doesn't mean they serve God, you know, and just because somebody's poor doesn't mean they don't serve God. So that's really important for us to understand that it wasn't the victories, the healing for their bodies, you know, none of them even got sick in 40 years. They didn't need a doctor, they didn't need a hospital. But it was the fact that they could not enter into God's rest. There was a time also in Exodus when God told Moses that I'm going to lead you up out of here, but I myself, I'm not going to go with you. I'm going to send my angel before you, and everything's going to be great. And Moses so loved God that he, he told him, if you don't go, then I'm not going. You know, if you don't go, we are not going. So Moses was really faithful in the house of God, but he failed in this one moment of unbelief. And because I believe of the great responsibility that he had, he had to be judged very publicly and very strongly for that. And he was not allowed to enter into God's rest. And it was as an example for us. He died in peace. He died at a ripe old age. He never needed glasses, even though he was 120 years old. But you know, he longed to get into that promised land. And he looked from afar. Well, we'll see in Hebrews 11 that he did get into it eventually, but not at that time. Okay, so let's go to chapter 4. We'll talk about Joshua for a few minutes. But before I read verses 1 and 2, I want to read verses 3 through 10. 3 through 10. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works, and again in this passage, they shall enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience. He's talking about the children of Israel in the wilderness. He again fixes a certain day today, saying through David in the Psalms, after so long a time, just as has been said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not Harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Well, obviously, in this passage, there's so many things we could talk about. But I'm just going to give you a real quick summary of it. It's not difficult to understand. But he takes, the writer of Hebrews takes us from Moses to Joshua suddenly and tells us something really amazing because up until we read verse 8, we think that the rest is the promised land. I mean, that's where Moses wanted to get to, right? Well, we'll find out in chapter 11, no, that's not right. He had his eyes fixed on a heavenly kingdom, actually, as did Abraham. The promised land is not the rest of God, Okay. A lot of people think, well, when I die, I'm going to cross over the River Jordan and enter into the promised land. No, we should be walking in the promised land today. The promised land is actually a place of battle. <laughs> it's a place where the manna stops and you have to start planting your own gardens and doing the work yourself and working out your salvation by faith. You know, the promised land never was the, pl the ultimate place of rest. 
But in the promised land, which we could draw an example between the promised land and our Christian life, they were supposed to be living according to kingdom principles, living with that rest in their midst, having that rest and that peace and that grace and that glory, even though they had battles every single day. And that really is an example of our Christian lives on this earth. But it's not the ultimate rest. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Because we're told here that Joshua could not lead the people into rest. But he did lead them into the promised land, didn't he? But that promised land is not the fullness of the rest of God. The rest of God is the house of God. That Jesus speaks of when he says, um, I go to my father's house, and in my father's house there are many mansions. That there's a place for all of you. I go to prepare this place for you. And when I come again, I will lead you into that rest. So most probably you know this, but just in case you don't, in Hebrew, Joshua's name, which was given to him by Moses, it's kind of a play on the, on the, the, the name he had from his mom, but Moses gave him this name. His name is Yeshua, okay? And Jesus' name in Hebrew also is Yeshua. They actually had the same name. So it's Joshua and Jesus. If you read the Bible in Russian, they're both called Jesus, spelled exactly the same in the Bible. So you're constantly, when you're preaching, you have to say, Jesus, not the one in the New Testament, I'm talking about the one in the Old Testament. <laughs> so it's actually handy for preaching that you have Joshua and Jesus, because you don't have to do that. But they are the exact same name, that the Lord is our salvation, that he brings salvation. So Joshua could lead them into the promised land, the physical promised land. But he could not lead them into the ultimate rest. Only Jesus, only Yeshua, the Son of God, leads us into that rest. I go to prepare this place for you. And when he comes again, he will bring the kingdom of heaven. Uh, he will bring us into the kingdom of heaven. And ultimately, in the last days, in the eschatology of the Bible, he will bring the new Jerusalem down from heaven to us, and we will live in that rest forever. But I want to draw our attention to the word today, because that's what the emphasis is here. So what we're supposed to see when we read this is that there is a rest that remains for us, that it's out there. But it's this understanding of the kingdom of God that the kingdom of God is here now with us, but at the same time, it's also not here yet, right? It's, it's out there. It's the same thing we see in the scripture about being saved, really, because the verb is used in three different ways in the New Testament. We're told in some places that we are saved. We're told in other places that we are being saved. And we're told in other places that we will be saved, because all of those are true. Kind of like that example I gave you about my dad, mom and dad's inheritance uh, last week when I was a little kid and found out about it. I had it already, but I didn't really have it yet. I didn't get it until they died. But I actually had it before I even found out about it and found that little container with their will in it and took it out and read it uh, when I was probably eight or nine years old. I actually had it before that because they, they had written that before that. You know, they, I'm sure they decided on that when they knew I existed on, you know, in my mother's womb. But I didn't know about it. But when I found out about it, you know, I didn't have the fullness of it yet. And it's kind of a good example of how, how this works. We have this, and we should appropriate it in, in our Christian lives today. But we don't have the fullness of it yet. This hope that is coming, what we have today is the confession of this hope. We have the substance of this hope, the thing that 
that is the reality of this hope, but we don't see the fullness of that, that hope yet. So we read here that a Sabbath rest remains for us, and you can see this really good in um, verse 3, because it says, we who have believed enter that rest, or are entering that rest. That's our Christian life. And then it says, just as he has said, I swore they shall not enter my rest. And it's almost kind of confusing <laughs> there for a minute. But that there's a rest, and we are entering into that rest. And if we are on the right path, we can consider that we're already there. You know, we do that when we're on a trip, you know, we have our GPS or something, and we're calling ahead to tell some relative that we're going to see them, you know, uh, our ETA is three hours from now. We're going to be there. We don't even think our car is going to break down. We won't get there until tomorrow unless we're really negative people. You know, we're on the right path. And I promise you our car will not break down in Jesus because he's our car. He's going to get us all the way there. And if we're on the right path, we will get into the fullness of that rest. Um, and so we can appropriate and walk in that rest today. It says in uh, chapter 3, verse 7, today. It says in chapter 3, verse 15, today. It says in chapter 4, verse 7, today. So there's three witnesses that there's a rest that remains for the people of God. So I kind of want to help you understand that in, in a way that maybe you haven't thought about it. When we talk about something that remains, um, I think when we talk about that this rest remains for the people of God, that um, there's kind of a tendency to think like, like it's somebody saying, you know, that you, you've, you're, you've, you're kind of a failure, you know, you're kind of a dummy when it comes to the rest of God. You just haven't made it yet. And, and, and that's not what's being said here. What's being said here is that, you know, do you want a second helping? There's a whole bunch more on the stove. You know, you can eat as much as you want. You can have as much of this rest as you want to appropriate by faith in your life. If all you want is for God to take care of your shoes and your health uh, issues and, you know, feed you and clothe you and get some free quail and manna or something like that, then you can settle for second best. But God has so much more for you. And if you want more, there remains more rest for the people of God. Rest that you can enter into. So the Greek word for rest, it's related to the, our English word pause. And, and, but it's not really so important. What's more important for us is to understand the Hebrew understanding of it. Okay? Because he's talking about the shalom. You know, he's talking about this peace. And this peace, Jesus already told us, is not the kind of peace the world gives. And I've talked about that already. But, but this peace is this wholeness that we have, this unity together with God, what we call righteousness, what we call glory, what we call grace, what we call peace. It, it's his peace. And, and there's so much more of this for us. And we can have as much as we want. It remains for us. He wants us to enter into it. Do you know that uh, all cultures all over the world that I know of, and I heard of a lot, I haven't heard of one that doesn't, have, uh, uh, they, they count uh, time by days, right? And everybody knows that a day is based on the movement of the earth, we now say, but most people just, for, because it's how we see it, say from the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun, and then when it rises again, and, and that's a day. 
And so God created the sun and he created the moon and it tells us in Genesis that he put those things there uh, because they would rule over the time that we have here on the earth and give us light during the day and we'd have some extra light usually during the night also, right? And everybody knows that a month is ruled by the moon. Now, we have different ways of measuring months because we've invented calendars, but we still get that. A month is a moon, a new moon, right? And so the, these two measurements are established by the planets. But what is a week established by? You know, there's no planet that regulates a week. There's nothing about the movement of the stars or the sun or the moon or the earth that tells us we should break up our lives into weeks, is there? There's, there's nothing astronomical about it. And you can think about it kind of hard. Why did we choose seven days? And why didn't we choose six? Why didn't we choose five? And why is this prevalent across all cultures of the world, everywhere? Because God established it that way. God said it that way. When we get to, he creates the earth six days, and he says, I've got one more day. In this one more day, I'm going to rest. Okay? And he calls that one day, if you look in scripture, this is the day that's being spoken of here. It's called today. And it tells us that God established that before we uh, uh, ever get to the New Testament times, before we ever get to Moses or get to you and me, that he established in the most ancient of times this thing called today. It's the seventh day, and it's called rest. And that God, just try to get this picture, that God is there in this rest. He dwells in that rest. On the eighth day, he didn't start working again. You know, if we, again, these arguments are based strictly on scripture, okay? I know God continues to work and all that, but from the scripture, you can see that everything with God stops on day seven. He doesn't work anymore. He doesn't create anything else. Everything else that exists, it's all just being birthed and hybrids and crossbreeding or whatever that came out of those first six days, right? He created everything, and it just continues to work. It continues to expand, to grow, but it was created in those six days. So God, when it comes to this work of creation, he's resting, and he still rests. God dwells in glory. God dwells in grace. God dwells in peace. God dwells in shalom because he is shalom. And so if you can imagine that you have this invitation to come to God's house, and he's got this spread, this feast, this buffet, where there, you'll never eat everything that he has for you. And it's so many blessings. It, and this is called rest. And God's there saying, you know, this rest remains for you. You can have more in your life. You can enjoy more. And the Christian life should be going from glory to glory, that you're going to get more and more grace as you grow and come closer, and then when you die, you know, you'll actually enter into that glory, but even that will not be the fullness of the glory, because that will come when your body is resurrected from the dead, and we are together as the bride of Christ, together, together with, with Jesus, and that is going to be far, so far and above beyond anything that we can have even imagine. It's difficult to explain. Not long ago, I had a certain young lady in my family, I won't say her name, but there's only one young lady in my family living at home right now, who was asking me questions related to something her Bible teacher was saying that really got her confused. 
because he was talking about how Jesus said in the kingdom um, of heaven, there'll be no marriage or giving in marriage. And she was real worried that mom and I wouldn't know each other. And, and I remember struggling with that about her age when you're already thinking about getting married and what all that means and everything. And, you know, I started explaining to her. And as I'm explaining to her, I'm just, I, Sasha, I'm, I, oh, I said her name, Sasha. I said, young lady, it, it's, I don't really know exactly how to explain this to you, but I feel it on the inside. I know what it means. And I can give you some answers here, but the closer you get to Jesus in your life, I promise you, the better you'll understand uh, what this means. And I actually think her teacher did a pretty bad job of, of you know, a pretty cut and dry job. Well, nobody's going to get married and having all this kind of stuff. Of really explaining or showing to them that whatever it is, it's way better than what we have on earth. We're not going to be more distant from each other and know each other less. We're going to actually know each other so much better because we will know Christ so much better. We will know him as he knows us, and we'll see him as he sees us. Amen. Okay, so let's go now to verse 1 of chapter 4. When we started out, um, I talked to you about how there are certain points in the book where there are, there are four different words that are used, are usually translated as therefore, okay? And these particular therefores, they have some kind of command or action that comes after them. And this is where we meet with the first two of them. It's in verse 1 of chapter 4 and in verse 11 of chapter 4. And so these uh, therefores, they, like old preachers always say, you should ask yourself what the there is for. But, um, you know, they are there for a reason. They are drawing a conclusion to, to this portion of the servant-son um, correlation that we've been looking at, about angels, about Moses, then about Joseph, 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 <laughs> Joshua, sorry. And they're drawing a conclusion to this and saying, since all of this is true, this is what you need to do. And the first one tells us, you'd think it would say you need to rejoice. But no, it says you need to be afraid. You need to fear. And the second one says you need to be diligent to enter into what God has for you. So let's read them. Verses 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest. So with everything I've said, you know, ask yourself this question. Is there a promise that there's more rest for us, that rest remains for us? Yes, there is. God wants us to have more. So let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed we have good news preached to us, just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them because it was not, in the literal reading here, it was not mixed with faith in those who heard it. My, my Bible says united by faith. Kind of the same meaning. But, but the meaning of the scripture is that you hear God's word, you're hearing God's word, we're hearing God's word tonight. And when we hear God's word, you know, it's like epoxy glue kits or something, I don't know. It has to be mixed with faith on the inside of us or it does not work. Do not think that God's word is like some magical thing that is just going to work whether you believe it or not, because it's not. Now, in a minute, I'm going to show you it will, but it will in a way you don't want it to. 
okay? Because <laughs> it will come to pass, but you'll be left out, right? So they did not uh, enter into the rest, not because they didn't receive God, hear God's word or see his works. They did hear his voice. They did see his works, but because they didn't believe. They didn't mix it with faith, with trust uh, in him. So he's talking about us entering into this rest, and it's just really simple. It's just simply saying to us, since all of this is true, the first action that we should have or reaction to what we're reading in these scriptures is to be afraid, to fear that we would fail to enter into the fullness of what God has for us in this life. That we would have a fear of God above a fear of people, a fear of failure, what other, other kind of fears you can think of. It may sound harsh, but all of those things are just going to boil down to pride when you stand before God. Because you know, say, why were you afraid of failure? You know, that's what he said to the guy with the one talent who hid it in the ground. And he didn't say, oh, you poor little thing, fear, afraid of failure. He said, you wicked and lazy slave, get out of here. You blew it. You were supposed to go invest that in the bank at least. You know, take a risk, which is not going to be a risk because I'm with you. But use what I've given you. So we need to be afraid that we would not activate the fullness of his promises in our lives because we just don't trust him. And we're not, um, you, know, you know, when you don't trust him, it's really evidenced in, a, in, a, um, in this, this, this feeling of complacency and, and compromise where I'm just too comfortable with the way things are. You know, it may be miserable, but I know how this misery works so I can handle it. You know what I'm talking about? I'm just comfortable with this misery. And God wants me to come out of my comfort zone? You know, or God wants me to take this step of faith in my life? That's just not easy for me. And God's saying, yeah, that's the whole point. It's not supposed to be easy for you. I want you to come into my glory. I want you to enter into something more. I see you way more glorious than you see yourself. So be afraid. That's the first one. And then in verse 11, it talks about being diligent. It says uh, in verse 11 through 13 to the end of this, it says, therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. And then it, this very famous passage of scripture. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. You know what a two-edged sword is? Historically, it's that Roman sword. It cuts both ways, okay? Very, very sharp instrument. And historically, we know the Romans would keep them so sharp, and John Montero can sharpen this sharp, I know, because I've seen it. They would keep them so sharp they could shave with their sword. They did everything with their sword, and they killed with their sword. That's how sharp it was. So it says, the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit. So that's a lot deeper than a bullet will pierce you because all a bullet can do is kill your body. But the word of God pierces to the division of soul and spirit. That's a lot deeper than the greatest psychiatrist or psychologist on earth can pierce because none of them really understand where the border is between the soul and the spirit. And we don't understand that about ourselves. But the word of God pierces 
to the dividing of the soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Joints and marrow have to do with actions and feelings. The, the marrow has to do with, with feelings, the things we feel. The joints has to do with the things we do, the actions. None of us understand that either. I mean, we really don't. Sometimes we just cannot figure out what our motive was in something. It could be something good. It could be something bad. But the word of God, that's why you don't judge by your own feelings. You judge by the word of God. It pierces to the joints, the marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So we are Israel. We are the house of God. They squandered their inheritance like the prodigal son in the wilderness and never shared in the fullness of God's glory. And so we are told to be afraid. We are told to have diligence. The word diligence, maybe your version, whatever you're reading, says this, I don't know, but New American Standard says diligence. Uh, literally, that's a great translation, but literally in the Greek it says make haste. Hurry up. And, be, and enter into the rest that God has for you. When God gives you an opportunity, when that door is open, don't say, I'll do it tomorrow, because it can only be today. Today is the day of salvation. There are no tomorrows with God. There's only today. You know, and when tomorrow comes, it's going to be called today again. So while you have today, say yes to God. I mean, even in simple things, as the scripture tells us, don't, don't even go to, to bed if you're still offended and angry with your husband or with your wife. And yes, every married person in here says, well, I haven't been perfect with that. I know, but we need to grow because we need to make peace with one another and walk in that peace. You know, don't wait until tomorrow to ask God to forgive you. Don't wait to make amends when God gives you that opportunity. And on the positive side, don't wait to say yes to something God's calling you to do. You can't do it all, but you could take the first step and say yes, or you can, maybe there's a second step you could take. But do it today. And when you do it today, then you're entering into the rest. Because this is really important. The whole warning here that's given to us, as we've read over and over again, is concerning today. Okay? It's not really concerning uh, the future coming kingdom of God. It's not really saying you're not going to make it to heaven. It's saying you're going to miss God's blessing today, and you may miss it for the rest of your life. Maybe you'll make it to heaven by the skin of your teeth. You know, Moses made it to heaven. I know that 100%. Joshua made it to heaven. But if there, if there is a danger of falling from God's grace, of losing your salvation, we'll talk about that subject later, but if there is a danger, that danger wouldn't be because of some huge sin that you did. It would be because of a string of little things where you just constantly disobey God. You constantly refuse. Today, I refuse him. Today, I refuse him. Today, I refuse him. And all those little things would build up slowly but surely to harden your heart so that someday you just wouldn't even care anymore. And I, without judging where somebody went when they died or will go when they die, I have, and I think you have, seen examples of people that that has happened exactly in their life. And it's like some 
as one, like some dark, uh, I heard a guy today, I won't say his name either, some of you know him, <laughs> talking about how he got prayed for and this blessing came on him, and he said it was like something warm was being poured into me, and it was just filling up from, from the bottom. That was a really good testimony. But it, this is like some, something dark is going into a person, and it just begins slowly but surely to fill them up because they don't take what God is giving to them today. So make haste, hurry up, be, be fearful, and go. You know, when, when my wife, anyway, calls us to dinner, we're supposed to get there right away. That's just how, how it is. I don't know if all wives are like that. But when I make dinner, and I'm grilling something or smoking something, and it's ready, I want everybody to get there right away, too. Because it's not going to taste as good when it's cold. Because I worked really hard. I want to share this with my family or friends or whatever. I want everybody to be there. Well, God's the same way. He's calling us to dinner. He's calling us to glory. He's calling us to rest. And he wants us to, to mix that word, that call with faith. He called, we're faithful to go. We're faithful to enter into these things. The, the word that's being preached to us, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, because the word of God that we hear it says the word of God is living and active. Don't just take that out of context like usually we do. In the context, it's not talking about just the Bible is living and active. It is, but it's talking about the word that you hear, the word that God is speaking to you today. It's living and it's active, and it's piercing deeper than anything else could pierce. And the thing about it, and we see this with Moses for sure, that it will come to pass. The scripture tells us in Isaiah that it will accomplish what God sends it to do. He said it's like the rain that comes down or the snow that comes down. We see a lot of that right now. It's going to return back up to heaven. And in its wake, it's going to leave one of two things. This, this year, right? This danger of flooding. It's going to leave either bumper crops and prosperity or it's going to leave destruction and sorrow. You know, and it, I'm sure there's things in between those two things. I'm just taking it as an example. But the word of God is going to do that in our lives. It's going to come to pass. And it's going to bless us so much if we believe it, if we receive it and we trust in God. But it also will bring great loss, misery, and sorrow to us, like the one who had only the one talent, if, if we reject it. So the question uh, really is not where are we going to be after we die, but the question is where are we today? Are we walking in the promise of the Spirit today, and are we enjoying His eternal glory in our lives today? Amen. So I'm going to end there, and next time we will start with the next one that has to do with Aaron and the high priesthood. We hope you enjoyed the message. Before you leave, we want to remind you that if you want to continue receiving updates on new sermons, that you subscribe to our podcast. If you want more information on how to contact us, make sure to check out our website at urringtonvineyardfellowship.com. And we'll see you next time on the YBF Podcast.